When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And in this episode, I'm sharing a recent interview I had with Rob Savage, the filmmaker behind the new horror film, The Boogeyman. Rob Savage isn't a household name in horror yet, but if you look at his most recent work, this is a guy who seems like he's destined for great things in genre filmmaking. He's probably best known for his 2020 horror film, Host, which is a film that was shot entirely during a Zoom discussion. Then he followed up with Dashcam, a found footage horror film dripping with social commentary. And now he's making the leap to studio filmmaking with The Boogeyman. The Boogeyman is a film that follows the story of two young girls mourning the loss of their mother and living with a therapist father who doesn't seem to be dealing with his wife's death in the most healthy of ways. This family drama is interrupted when the literal Boogeyman begins to haunt these children, forcing them to reckon with their grief before this monster destroys them. During our discussion, we go deep with The Boogeyman, talking about the origins of the film, which is adapted from a short story written by Stephen King. We also talk about how King is seemingly responsible for this film changing course, from being a made-for-Hulu streaming movie to then getting a wide release in theaters. We also talk about the difficult task Savage and his crew had with designing The Boogeyman, which is a character that's incredibly iconic in the minds of children around the world. But before I get to my interview with Rob Savage, I got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Without any further ado, here's my interview with Rob Savage, the director of The Boogeyman, which is in theaters now. And one last thing, just so you know, the interview picks up after a quick moment where I talked about my love of host. I couldn't help but mention the film before we got into the official interview. So it seems as if you missed something, but I promise you didn't just me gushing about host. So with that in mind, enjoy. Speaking of host, your films never really run long. Uh, I think Boogeyman's like your longest film to date, and it's just about 90 minutes. It's 93, um, yeah, 93. Yeah. And, and personally, I think horror films really thrive under two hours, but they're hard to find nowadays. So I'm curious if that's something you always strive for when you make a film, if that's something you are cognizant of, is keeping that runtime run low. Yeah, I just I, I like to make sure that the film doesn't ramble. I like to make sure that we're not repeating ourselves. I just I, I'm always aiming to try and make everything feel as tight and intentional as possible. And if anything feels like we're kind of um, uh, belaboring a point, I, I tend to I tend to trim it down. Um, and I we had versions of this movie that were that was was a little shorter and a little, little longer. And we we did a lot of um, testing of this movie. I mean, we did the 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 requisite uh two two test screenings where we played it to a big crowd but also um one of the things that i i asked the studio to do and i can't believe they let me do this is is every single week of my director's cut i had eight weeks director's cut i asked if i could bring in just a couple of strangers to watch the movie and they signed ndas and they sat in and they watched them whatever state it was in you know they watched the two-hour assembly cut it was terrible they watched the the tighter cut the next week and we kind of like 
figured out figured out where people were you know starting to shift in their seats and 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 I like to I like to feel like the audience has kind of been wrapped the whole time yeah also what's interesting about you what I find fascinating is when a lot of filmmakers were kind of taking it easy and just enjoying their break during the pandemic you were working harder than anybody else I think uh yeah. you released two features both dealing with covid uh, as a theme host and dash cam and then you just went ahead and made a studio horror film uh also did you see this pandemic and lockdown as kind of just a creative challenge or was it just that you couldn't sit still like what what drove you to make three films um i think uh i'm not good at relaxing i'm not good at taking time off like i get i don't like being alone with my brand for too for too long so um lockdown was tough and um I was spending a lot of time on Zoom with these 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 amazing creative people who all having the same. Everyone was feeling antsy, and so we kind of were were using host as just a way to stave off, you know, madness. Um, and then after you know after um, after host kind of hit in the way that it did, it was the really beautiful thing that came out of host was the the that we could we could go and make another movie straight away and that I could choose what the next one was going to be. And I had a few things that that could all that could all go. And I started to um have a bit more agency in my career. You know, I'd been doing um I was a jobbing TV director before that. And I was literally just um, you know, um on my knees begging for the next job uh every single time um I was unemployed. So it's it's um I feel like it's such a luxury to be able to to um dictate in some small way where you, where your career goes. And so I know that we, I've, you know, I've got a tiger by the tail uh, after host and I really want to just keep making a movie a year until they, until they pull the plug on me. Um, maybe, maybe a movie every year and a half if they're on this scale, but um, that's uh, I, I don't know. I like to, I just like to exist in that, in that creative space. Yeah. So you went from host to dash cam is what you were saying. It was a, another found yeah. footage movie, but this is a, uh, it's a big studio horror film. Um, yeah. And you got, this is the boogeyman's what we're talking about. And you got two young leads, Sophie Thatcher and Viv Vivian Blair. And I have to assume when you cast them, they weren't breakout stars. Like they soon came to be. You had Sophie yeah. who hit big with yellow jackets and Boba Fett and then uh, Vivian with Obi-Wan. And uh, so did you have any idea like when you're when you were casting that that this was on the horizon or was it just kind of dumb luck? Um, I, I'm going to say dumb luck more than uh, more than anything else. But the the and and just I just I had, a, I had a great feeling about both of them. I hadn't seen any Yellow Jackets was out and everyone like everyone else was very excited that that Sophie Thatcher was engaging and, and had read the script and liked it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't I, I, I remembered watching her in prospect the the little indie movie that she did when she was tiny um but i you know i i, I literally had to to binge a couple of episodes of yellow jackets I, I think i watched the the first the first episode of yellow jackets just before i jumped on the call with her um and i thought she was fantastic and i thought she was fantastic in prospect um but i certainly wasn't aware of her kind of yellow jackets heat in any big way and then um when i jumped on a call with her i was wearing a t-shirt um for this movie possession Andrzej Zawowski, like in, insane art house horror movie and the Great first thing she, said, she was like yeah she was like possession i fucking love possession and she had a big um she had a poster behind her of um um woman under the influence and gina rollins and and, and i was like we're gonna get along we've got the same we're the same frame of reference and um and so we spent most of the time just talking about weird niche 
horror movies. She um she used to work in a kind of grindhouse cinema, and I asked her what horror movies had she she had found really um uh, uh foundational, and she said the movie the horror movie I've seen the most is Necromantic Two, <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> In my head, she got the part right then and there. Yeah, uh, wow. Because, because you know, we're both. She's in. She's she's in. She's on set every single day. I'm on set every single day. We're both exhausted. Having that like shared frame of reference was so was so important. Like I could kind of I could say this scene is kind of like whatever this from some obscure movie, or we're we're doing you know three colors blue here, you know, and 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 really like the most kind of pretentious references as well as the schlockiest. Um, and then and then with Vivian, it was um. She, she just she just did an absolutely fantastic audition and i think she's like such a hilarious brilliant wise human being even though she's nine years old she's like she's the very definition of an old soul and 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 i wanted you know the the, the there's there's a world where that character is very annoying um and there's a world where that character is the best you know everyone's favorite in the movie and i knew that if we cast her she'd be everyone's favorite if if we could bring a bit of her personality to the screen a bit of her humor yeah, she uh, in the screening I went to, uh, it was a bunch of, you know, stodgy old critics and they mm. were they were really engaged with her. Her line delivery oh, right. in a super in, in some instances was perfect. So she's so good. Yeah. So uh, this is a movie that went through a bit of a quote unquote development hell uh, before mm. you got signed on. It was yeah. part of it was like a casualty of the Disney Fox merger. It was happening. It wasn't happening. At what point did you come on and, and uh, what state was the movie in, I guess? Um. I got offered it right after host, just after the movie had been kind of revived. Um, and it was the the draft that I first read was by Beck and Woods, who, you know, I was really excited to read it. I love a quiet place. I think those guys are great. They had um the the script was very, very different from what ended up on screen. Um, it had a different protagonist, it had a different trajectory, a different ending. But what they had cracked, uh, that was so brilliant is they cracked a way to to uh take this this short story, which is just two people having a therapy session and uh, kind of extrapolate that out into this full length movie. They came up with this idea of like, actually, actually they, they say, they, they, they said this and I think it's very eloquent. So I'm going to steal it. They said the movie is, um, the movie is kind of uh, an adaptation of the short story and a sequel to the short story all within one 90 minute movie. And I thought that was a great way at it to have the Lester Billings character from the short story be the harbinger of doom in our one. Um, and so I came on board and I worked with um we we kind of like hunted around for 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 writers and eventually um Mark Heyman came on board and very quickly it became, it became clear that he was going to be the person to bring this home. Uh, I worked with him for about 7 months and then we got the green light off the back of that. Um and it really started to click in when we started to reframe the movie to be about these two sisters. It was originally all about the dad it was all kind of taking place in the world of that world of adults which was which was um which i didn't think was 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 working so well and didn't feel right for the boogeyman which is such a kind of childhood fear so as soon as we as soon as we made it about the younger characters we started to zone in on what this movie was yeah and you mentioned that just now the the boogeyman is kind of an iconic name for a monster it's not necessarily uh, nobody knows what the boogeyman looks like, but it's it's the name you mentioned when a kid has yeah. like a monster under the bed. So that in itself carries a lot of weight when you have to then design what that monster looks like. Yeah. So I'm curious how difficult that was and and what the undertaking was like to to give the boogeyman a face. 
Yeah, it was um, it was a long process. I mean, we didn't lock the design of the creature until like days before we started shooting, like maybe a week before we started shooting. And um, it was about trying to find something that felt simple and stark and like a child could draw it in crayon and it would it would um, it would make sense on those terms. But also it had to be something that was um, that was kind of simple and and um, that was simple enough that people could project their own fears onto it. I wanted to, to I wanted this creature to kind of lurk in the darkness for a lot of the movie. Um, we had we had a kind of running total of the boogeyman screen time written on a whiteboard during the edit, and then we had the amount of time that the shark is in Jaws and the amount of time that the alien is in Aliens and um, in Alien and uh, and the boogeyman is in this movie one second less than the shark is in Jaws and one point five seconds less than Alien and Alien. Or, wow. or maybe it could be the other way around. But I wanted to like I wanted people to leave the theater with an idea of what this thing looks like. Which obviously you know there, there's a, a design that we're very happy with. But I also wanted there to be these moments where you're just catching a glimpse of cat's eyes in the darkness, or you're you're imagining something scurrying under your bed, and a lot of it had to exist in the audience's mind. Yeah, and you had mentioned that this is a an ad- adaptation of a short story, and it's by none other than Stephen King, which is kind of the horror author. Um, yeah. We all know he's very particular about his work being adapted. Um, so I assume he's seen the film. And I want to know, was it terrifying knowing his history with film adaptations and then giving him your film to look at and to critique? Uh, yes, is the short answer. Um, it, it was interesting, though, because because we kind of softened the blow a little bit because he'd read the script that we did, not not the final draft, but, but, but pretty close. Um, he'd read the script and he really loved it. He gave us some great feedback and... Um, and then he was like, while we were shooting, he was on a book tour and he was shouting out about how much he he loved the script. And he was kind of touting it as like, this is a great way to take the short story and adapt it out. And it's, it's um, it, you know, it, I, I knew that if we did the script justice and I didn't fuck it up, then there was a good chance that he liked the movie. Um, you know, it didn't feel like we were marching into battle having... Um, completely misinterpreted his short story or misrepresented his work. Um, so it was, you know, it was still, it was still nerve wracking. We showed him a, a almost finished cut with um, some pretty shonky VFX in there because the VFX wasn't finished. Um, and he loved it. He he sent this, he sent this, this beautiful letter to everyone um, about just, you know, she, he, he knows how much his words mean. He knows what weight they carry. And he really does like, he wields that force for good. So he, 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 he made sure to, to go through the cast and credit each of their performances and every single department. He shouted out the the design and the cinematography and the scares. He said that it was terrifying. And, um, and then ultimately he said, you know, these guys would be morons to put this on a small screen. This deserves to go big. And that was, um, you know, when Stephen King says that people listen. So he was he was pretty instrumental in getting this onto the big screen. Yeah, I want to ask you about that in a second, but first I want to I want to talk more about about this short story because you touched on it earlier that uh, there was a bit of freedom to to adapt a short story versus one of his you know thousand page epics, and mm. we see that a lot. Like we saw it uh, has the TV movie and then it's got the the big budget movies and they had to like split it into two. But you were kind of gifted a short story to then reinterpret. So was there that creative freedom that you were just like happy to take? Or were you also just a little bit like we're adding to something that's already great? Um, 
I mean, the short story pretty much exists wholesale within the movie. So I wanted yeah. to make sure that there was an adaptation of the short story that felt really true to to that and to his writing, even though we kind of like, we 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 came with our own version of the Lester Billings character. David had such a, um, a beautiful take on that character. But um, it was really about, we were honoring that. We were also honoring the boogeyman. I mean, a lot of people would go and see this movie, um, you know, knowing it was Stephen King, but also the, the 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 there's the cachet of the name, the boogeyman. We wanted it to feel like it was speaking to those childhood fears that everyone remembers so vividly about being scared of the dark and 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 uh, uh, starting to starting to realize the world is is harbors uh, scary things out there that may want to do you harm. Like that was that was the kind of place we wanted to put the audience, and it was it was it was about it was about honoring that honoring the short story but also just making sure that every time we invented something wholesale it felt like we were always looking back to king's writing we were looking back to the short story there was a version of this movie that was like much more kind of nihilistic and didn't have as happy an ending and um uh and it was and we just felt like one of the things one of the things that i think of with my favorite king stories is that there's a real um uh, empathy and humanity to to the way he writes his characters, and there's always, um, or almost always, a, a kind of there's a there's a glimmer of light in the darkness, and we wanted to make sure that uh, this didn't feel um, this 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 felt like it could sit alongside other King titles, and like it had uh, his DNA running through it. Yeah, and and you mean you mentioned uh, David uh, Desmalchin is the actor who plays Billings, and and yeah. he he's kind of known as a creepy dude. Like I'm sure he's a great guy in real life, but like yeah. every character he plays is just utterly creepy. Um, yeah. And what was it like knowing you got this guy? Cause that was almost like a slam dunk for that role. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it, it, you know, it, it, it was, um, I can't remember who came up with the idea of, of, of David, but I just immediately thought he, I, I couldn't imagine anyone else in that part as soon as I had him in my head. And it's interesting because originally we were, we were, thinking about Lester and more in terms of how he is in the short story, which is this kind of, um, uh, he's, he's kind of abrasive, this gruff racist, um, you know, aggressive, uh, uh, he's almost like a kind of truck stop harbinger of doom that you'd see in a kind of typical horror movie, you know, tell you to, to, to warn you off the shortcut. Um, and I didn't want him to feel too tropey. I wanted him to feel like somebody who, um, was a kind of we were holding up a mirror for where these characters were were going to end up in the third act of our movie that he was almost like this um this this warning sign for what's to come and i wanted the audience to feel like there was a i, I wanted an actor who could let the audience in on the experience of that character rather than somebody who was going to be kind of um uh closed off and aggressive and 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 i think it's actually way more effective the way that david played him you know this was david's this was david's kind of perspective on the character as well it's like this is somebody who's wounded and is reaching out and like the whole the the you know the theme of the movie you know, on the surface it's another grief movie but really it's about communication it's about kind of like leaning on other people when you're going through the darkest times and like this is a guy who's like gone through the darkest shit that anyone could possibly imagine and he's really coming to this this therapist office to be listened to and understood and that there's this real yearning in his performance that then on a dime can change. And suddenly you think, Oh, this guy's going to fucking murder me. But like that, <laughs> that's the, that's the tightrope that he walks so beautifully. 
Yeah, I, I felt like in the movie, I was just like, you know, it, it to me, yes, it's about grief. But I also saw this like just kind of really sweet aspect of just letting out that grief is so cathartic and healing. Yeah. And and for him, you saw like the tears in his eyes, like he was saying some really messed up stuff, but he was he was just pouring it out because it was just like festering. Yes. Yeah. Festering is the word. I mean, that was that was the, that was what the boogeyman was for me. It's this idea that there's this family of characters who are all grieving and they're all going through this experience but they're all going through it alone because they can't bring themselves to they can't bring themselves to 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 communicate this kind of turmoil inside of themselves and in that in in not speaking to the inner darkness it festers and kind of creates a spawning ground that this this darkness can can grow in and almost like infect the house you know we got this image of the the rot that sets in um yeah, yeah that was kind of that was that was one of the movies we referenced was um ordinary people was a was a big reference for us that yeah. idea of um a family trying to trying to act like everything's fine but all screaming internally yeah i mentioned before you went back to back found footage movies then sizable big budget horror uh about as big budget as horror gets nowadays i should say yes. and now that's quite the leap so did you find anything particularly surprising about making you know these these two found footage indie movies to then a 20th century studios horror film the thing that's surprising and i mean this this sounds like i'm just blowing smoke but this is i'm genuinely bewildered by this is just like how much um complete creative freedom i felt on this one i mean it was there was um there was great input from the studio and from the producers but it was never it was ne there was nothing in this movie that was like um being uh being kind of forced upon us or or there was no um none of these horror stories you hear about making um a studio horror kind of kind of ever uh ever arrived and i was constantly it was constantly spoiling for a fight imagining that something was um that i was you know i was gonna have to to dig my heels in but i think we all um we all wanted to make the same movie a kind of like um simple classic terrifying um but still kind of like meaty and dramatic uh horror movie and um you know and i was also amazed by just how much of this movie this big multi-million dollar movie was allowed to exist just in my brain like a lot of these set pieces were just like they existed in my notebooks i was scribbling storyboards and um I was trying to keep everyone up to, you know, up to scratch on what what was going on, but a lot of time, um, it 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 the the entire you know hundreds of people all waiting around and it was everyone was gathering around these little scribbles that I'd done in my notebook, which is exactly how I'd done host and dash cam. It was like um, we'd all huddle and be like, okay, how are we going to do this? And uh, and that it felt like there was a kind of scrappiness to making this movie as well, even though it's even though it's a multi-million dollar movie that the the thing that i the thing that i enjoyed the most about those indie movies was this sense of like um was the improvisation turning up you know we, we improvised both of those movies based on beat sheets we turn up every day and and me and the cast and whoever else was was there doing the effects would be like okay how the fuck are we going to do this and um and a lot of this movie we had um we had the freedom to improvise play around with the scenes the cast were were throwing in ideas there were like there was um there was still just this real sense of um of kind of discovery every day even though we had uh we had all the money to just project it from my brain onto the screen it was like there was still a lot discovered moment to moment 
That's awesome. So you mentioned this earlier that Stephen King was kind of maybe the first person to get the ball rolling on this movie being uh, made for Hulu to then getting a theatrical release. When you found out that that was, there were rumbles that this movie was going, that it was testing well, and that it was going to maybe get a theatrical release, were you just like secretly just like exploding inside? Yeah, I mean, I've been exploding inside th- through this whole process. I mean, I think the 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 kind of like arrogant side of me was was like, okay, this is. I think this is a really good script. This is a really great property. It's a great title especially with Stephen King's name floating above it. Like uh, if I don't mess this up and I make a, you know, we make a really scary movie. We've got this amazing team. Um, I kind of just in the back of my head, always imagined this would go theatrical and we made it with that canvas in mind. It wasn't, it wasn't ever something like, you know, host was something where it's like, how can we fuck people up in their own homes? Whereas this was, um, this was always intended to be big. And um, yeah, when I, when I found out, I was kind of the last person to to find out. I think even my composer found out before me and like <laughs> texted me. But um, but it was uh, it was kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue after the first test screening. The first test screening was so kind of electric, and there was such a buzz in the theater, and every single scare landed and worked, and and the 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 audience was screaming and cheering and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just, it's one of those one of those screenings you only get a few times in your career if you're lucky, and um. From that moment on, I kind of felt like that that coupled with Stephen King's note, um, it felt like it was going to happen sooner or later. Before I let you go, I want to ask you, because you I see an Evil Dead 2 poster behind you. We, yes. you've, you're, you're referencing horror quite a bit. You've made horror movies. Is this a genre that you kind of want to stick around in or do you see yourself kind of uh, broadening your horizons a bit in the future as well? I wanted to keep making horror movies. I mean, I think that the. the I think I think that so long as I can keep making different and and exciting um original horror movies like I I the thing that I love about horror is you can kind of do any other genre within it so long as you make it scary and I'm you know I'm I'm I, I, I in you know and some of the scenes I'm most proud of in this movie are just scenes between the family it's a scene of Christmasina and Sophie sitting on the edge of the bed having a conversation about you know about the mum, but not really talking about it. And just the kind of, like, it was just, it was just a beautiful thing to be part of and not something you'd imagine, um, not something you'd imagine would exist in a movie like this. That's a big Friday night popcorn horror movie, but you can, you can sneak in these really meaty themes and performances and ideas. So long as you scare the shit out of people, there's like this kind of transactional aspect to horror that I love. And, um, and so, you know, I'd love to do, a drama i'd love to do a thriller i'd love to do a, a romance but i can do all that within horror and horror is just the most fun to make um it's the most fun to watch with an audience and it's just something that i'm really dialed into because it's all that i watch and and lastly last question yeah what did you ever think that her friends were too terrible <laughs> And if you watch the movie, you'll know what I mean here. But there were moments where I'm like, God, she has some terrible friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the on the page, they had the potential to be really, really cartoonish. And I think the cast did. A oh, good no, they're not cartoonish. Play. They're just no, infuriating. They're just terrible. I mean, it really it was that thing, you know, and I, I, I relate. I'd been in I'd been in this situation as a kid where it's like it's not they're not really her friends. She's got it's this kind of thing where her best friend from from middle school where well, i don't know i don't know american school systems but whatever like her best friend from from childhood 
suddenly became the popular one. And she's like, no, 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 we're the losers. We're the outcasts. We're, we're the people that stand on the edge of parties and like sip our drinks. Um, and so she's almost kind of like, she's, she's the baggage that comes with this now popular best friend. And so she's kind of like inherited these friends who really don't like her and, and like that she doesn't feel a part of. And so she's, um, you know, uh, uh, she, yeah, it, it, there's this kind of like everyone's everyone's trying to pretend like yeah we're all we're all friends, but it's so it's so painfully obvious that that they're not, and that she's the she's the the loser they're trying to kick out of their midst. But it's great, you you know, every single screening I've been in, when when uh, uh, the particularly awful one gets her comeuppance, it gets the biggest cheer. We had a standing ovation at one of our screenings. It's that's like, awesome. Um, that's awesome. You get a payoff. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the boogeyman and uh, I, I, I showed you my, my host VHS. Obviously I'm a fan that. of that. So uh, you have a great day and, uh, and I can't wait to see what you got next. Thanks man. I appreciate it. Uh...